Welcome to the latest episode of British History, Royals, Rebels, and Romantics, the podcast for people who understand that history shows us what's possible for us in our lives today. I'm Carol Ann Lloyd, your host and tour guide as we travel back in time. We're shaking up history to look at the stories that don't always make the history books, to consider famous and infamous characters in new and interesting ways, and to look for all the things that we share even when we're living in different times and places. I hope you enjoy this journey through the royals, rebels, and romantics of Britain. Now, let's explore history together. For today's journey back in time, we'll be talking about that famous band of brothers, Edward IV, Richard III, and George. There's a reason I put George's name last. He's not the youngest. He's not the one who died last. He's the one who is usually overlooked. And I think he's the one that holds the key to the ultimate failure in the relationship between the other two. Richard, Duke of York, had four sons who survived childhood. Edward, Edmund, George, and Richard. After the oldest two, there were two daughters and two sons who died young, which meant Edward and Edmund were a year apart and raised together, and are reported to have been close. Then, George and Richard, the two final surviving children of Richard Duke and York and Cecily Neville, were close in age and shared childhood experiences. Throughout the 1450s, the Duke of York challenged the Council of Henry VI, demanding a position of greater authority. Eventually, he shifted into demanding the crown itself. York reasoned his claim to the throne was stronger than the first Plantagenet, Henry IV, and that gave him the right to fight for it. York was killed at the Battle of Wakefield in late 1460, as was his second son, Edmund. Was the Yorkist cause lost? No. Edward took up his father's cause. Just 17, he was a tall and imposing figure, and the Yorkist supporters flocked to him. Most importantly, the Earl of Warwick, Richard's great supporter, who's commonly known as the kingmaker, took up the cause and fought alongside the new Duke of York. And Edward's brothers? At 11 and 8 years old, George and Richard were too young to fight. They were sent to Burgundy for safety. But just months later, they were recalled to England. Everything had changed. Edward had prevailed, and the 18-year-old was now King of England. King Edward was surrounded by older men who had helped him gain the throne. He knew he was expected to shower honors and wealth and prestige upon them, but he also knew he had to reinforce his family's claim to the throne by promoting his brothers above everyone else. Edward's victory over the forces of Henry VI had changed George and Richard from exiles to heirs to the throne. And thus begins the story of the York brothers and the English throne. I am so grateful to Thomas Penn for his wealth of research on the relationship of these brothers. I was lucky enough to hear him speak at the BBC History Festival in Winchester last year. We typically think of the Wars of the Roses as a cousin's war, which at times it was. We think of it as York versus Lancaster, which is a part of it. But it's also the story of the three York brothers, of York versus York, brother versus brother, uncle versus nephew. And I think an important and usually overlooked element is the brother we don't think about, George. 
When George shows up in the story, he's typically dismissed as feckless or weak. He's a malcontent who betrays his brother Edward and then betrays his father-in-law Warwick. He's most remembered for the method of his death. He's rumored to have been drowned in a butt of Malmsey wine. Middle brother stuck between the two successful siblings who both became king. I think there's more to George than that. And I think taking a closer look at George might give us a little bit of insight into the choice that Richard makes after Edward's death. So let's take a look. George and Richard were showered with offices and honors as part of Edward's reign. They were created Knights of the Bath on June 26, 1461, and participated in Edward's coronation June 27th. And on June 28th, George was made Duke of Clarence. A few months later, Richard was made Duke of Gloucester. King Edward knew any glories his brothers had reflected well on him. He was reinforcing the Yorkist dynasty by ennobling and enriching his brothers. But George certainly knew, and Richard might have already known, that these honors were not guaranteed to remain. They did not inherit their titles, their lands, or their wealth. As far as that went, Edward did not inherit the throne. He took the throne by force from an anointed king. And now he was distributing the titles and land and wealth of Henry VI's supporters. What if Henry VI came back into power? If not Henry, what if other descendants of Edward III decided they had a better claim or a better army than Edward did? What about a foreign invasion with England not well positioned to ward off an enemy army? There was uncertainty at every turn. Even if Edward remained in power, the setup made George and Richard completely dependent on him. He gave them these honors and he could take them away. They were expected to demonstrate absolute loyalty to their brother, the king. George in particular had a lot to lose. Brothers of kings typically did not inherit the throne. King's sons became kings. Edward was young and not yet married, but he certainly would marry, and he would almost certainly have children. Each child would push George further and further down the line of succession. His position as heir was temporary. What might not have been clear to Edward at this point was he was not the only York brother who wanted the throne. After all, both their parents had felt themselves entitled to honors upon honors. Richard, Duke of York, had fought to take Henry VI's throne. Cecily styled herself queen by right during Edward's reign, even though she was not queen and had never been queen. Edward took up his father's fight for the throne immediately. It is not hard to imagine that George and Richard wondered about their own royal future. In fact, over Edward's reign, I think both of them show that they wanted the crown as much as Edward did. The Earl of Warwick played a key role in Edward's reign and in the relationships among the brothers. Warwick felt entitled to make decisions and guide the young king. After all, he was 15 years Edward Sr. and had been a strong supporter of the father as well as of Edward. Warwick was considered almost a co-ruler alongside the king. But in 1464, Edward made a decision that shook at the foundation of the power structure he had constructed since taking the throne. He got married. This doesn't seem like a shocking thing. Kings were expected to marry and produce heirs. It's always been part of the job description. But typically, royal marriages were arranged to accomplish political goals, secure wealth, and establish alliances. 
Warwick was busily at work arranging such a marriage for Edward. He reveled in his growing position at the French and European courts, where he was spoken of as the power behind the throne. One ambassador wrote to the French king that England had two rulers, quote, Monsieur Warwick and another whose name I have forgotten, end quote. If such tales got back to Warwick, it's impossible to think they didn't get back to Edward as well, and he was tired of playing along. So, as Warwick was explaining to the council all the advantages of the French marriage he had arranged, Edward informed them he could not marry Warwick's, Warwick's choice because he was already married. He had married Elizabeth Woodville a few months before. Warwick was furious. He looked like a fool to all those French and European courtiers whose praise he had enjoyed. He didn't even know his king was married. And Edward's choice of bride didn't help. Elizabeth Woodville was a widow whose husband had died fighting for Henry VI. She had children already. Instead of bringing wealth and foreign power to the king's court, she brought a large family in need of advantageous marriages and positions at court. It was unthinkable for the king to have made such a significant mistake and such an important decision. But was it a mistake? Had Edward simply given over to his lustful desires and married Elizabeth because she refused to become his mistress? That is one theory given for Edward's marriage. But what if there's another option? Edward needed to make his own decisions as king. He wasn't necessarily ready to commit to a marriage to a French princess and international ties with France at the expense of other options. And he needed his own relationships with the English nobility. Elizabeth brought family members who could marry into noble families and secure alliances. She had brothers and sons who could fill key positions in Edward's court. She wouldn't tie him to an international commitment. The Woodville family changed the script. The kingmaker wasn't quite as powerful as he and others had thought. Edward could make alliances with nobles thanks to his new family. He had new brothers who were looking for advantages at court and pledging their loyalty. Edward's family just got bigger and the ground was shifting. Clarence and Gloucester both participated in Elizabeth's coronation as queen consort in 1465. The royal world was being rebuilt to accommodate a whole new generations. And the next step, of course, was a royal baby. That baby was born in February 1466. Baby Elizabeth was given a grand christening ceremony. Warwick was the baby's godfather. What did he think of this? He was still considered to be the greatest magnate in the land, but his influence was fading. Despite his call for an allegiance with France, Edward instead decided to promote the marriage of his sister Margaret to Charles of Burgundy. Warwick played a central role in the marriage, accompanying Margaret as she left London. And he watched as the Woodvilles made marriages that he had expected for his own family. Warwick became determined. He would respond to this by having his eldest daughter, Isabel, marry the Duke of Clarence. With no sons, Warwick knew his family's future depended on his daughters making good matches. Clarence was eager for the marriage as well. He also felt pushed aside from the inner circle of his brother. In 1467, he was now 18, handsome and gifted like his brother Edward. He was also extremely ambitious, something I don't think Edward fully appreciated. He was highly positioned, but he wanted more. 
he had no security without an advantageous marriage of his own. The marriage to Isabel would strengthen both Clarence and Warwick. The king said no. United in their frustration, Clarence and Warwick traveled to Calais, where the marriage took place. After the marriage, Warwick wrote a letter to King Edward in support of the Robin of Redisdale Rebellion. Warwick called for the ouster of some of the king's advisors, including friends and relatives of the queen. It carried a warning reminder of the fate that had befallen other kings who followed evil advisors, such as Henry VI. The Northern Rising was led by Warwick's friends and relatives, and they succeeded in capturing King Edward in the summer of 1469. But holding a king and ruling in his behalf proved unsustainable for Warwick, and he was forced to release Edward. Any chance of defeating Edward meant getting more help. Warwick and Clarence fled to France. They eventually joined forces with Marguerite of Anjou and committed to returning Henry VI to the throne. Why did Clarence take this step? Clarence was the king's brother. He was in the succession for Edward's throne. What could he gain by joining up with Warwick? I think the only thing he could gain was Warwick's support for Clarence taking the throne. I think Clarence wanted to be king, and he saw Warwick as the way to get there. After all, it was well known that Henry VI was not strong enough physically or mentally to lead the country, and his heir was a child. I think George believed, or perhaps was persuaded to believe, that he would take the throne of England as a reward for turning against his brother. This was not to be. Warwick and Henry VI supporters were successful in returning Henry VI to his throne. Clarence was named heir after Henry's son, Prince Edward. And when Edward and Richard returned from Burgundy to retake the throne for Edward, George decided his luck would be better off with his family. His sisters, Margaret of Burgundy and Anne, Duchess of Exeter, had encouraged him to make peace with Edward, and it seems his mother had as well. In 1471, he threw himself at King Edward's feet and begged for forgiveness. In a grand display, Edward raised and embraced him. So the brothers are back together, fighting happily side by side, attempting to return Edward to the throne. Well, maybe it wasn't quite that easy. Yes, the York brothers fought together and returned Edward to the throne. The Earl of Warwick was killed. Henry VI and his son were killed. Prince Edward probably in battle and Henry VI in the tower. Suddenly, somehow, Edward had eliminated the Lancastrian threat to the throne. Maybe. Edward had fought with valor and utterly vanquished his enemies His victory this time was seen as decisive as that of Henry V at Agincourt, and Edward knew his success was based on the extraordinary support of his brother, Richard, Duke of Gloucester. Clarence found himself on the outs again. Richard was favored and feted for his role in Edward's victory. He was acclaimed as the senior man in England under the king and the king's most trusted lieutenant. And George? As Duke of Clarence, George had lands and titles and wealth. He benefited from the death of the Earl of Warwick. But he objected when Gloucester wanted to marry Warwick's other daughter, Anne, who was also heir to the father's estates. 
Clarence had no desire to to share that estate or title with his brother. Some think he went so far as to hide Anne so Gloucester couldn't find her and marry her. King Edward finally had to intervene and settle the matter. Gloucester did marry Anne, and both men were awarded great portions of land and wealth. But it wasn't enough for Clarence. He continued to want more. In December 1476, Clarence's wife Isabel died, likely of childbirth fever. But that wasn't reason enough for Clarence. Possibly driven mad with grief, or possibly overcome with anger and desire for revenge over years of perceived slights and failed ambitions, he convinced himself that one of Isabel's servants, Anchorette Twinhoe, had poisoned her. He used all the power of his position to hunt down the poor woman and have her arrested, tried, convicted, and executed, all outside the workings of the law. Clarence might have been forgiven for that, but there was more to come. In 1477, three men were arrested and charged with predicting the king's death by sorcery. One was pardoned and two were hanged at Tyburn. One of those was a servant of Clarence's. Two days after the hangings, Clarence interrupted a council meeting to read out a declaration of the two men's innocence, calling into question the law of the land. With his wife dead, Clarence attempted to arrange a marriage with Mary, Duchess of Burgundy, or Margaret Stuart, sister of James III of Scotland. Edward refused either match. It was clear that Edward was attempting to control his brother. Finally, those around the king, including the Woodvilles, gathered all of Clarence's crimes, past and present, to make a case against him. When Parliament was called, the king himself delivered a personal case against his brother. It was clear to everyone that Clarence was doomed. In February 1478, Henry Stafford, the Duke of Buckingham, and the king's brother-in-law, through his marriage to Catherine Woodville, declared the verdict. George, Duke of Clarence, was guilty of an array of charges and convicted of treason. He was executed privately in the Tower of London and, according to legend, yes, drowned in a butt of Malmsey wine. One of the charges against Clarence gives us a clue into what I think drove him throughout his life. The charge that he made a supposed deal between Marguerite that George would have the crown if the line of Henry VI failed. Clarence wanted the crown. He had fought for it. He had risked everything for it, just like his brother's. I don't think he changed loyalty from Edward to Warwick and then back to Edward. He was always loyal to one person, himself, just like his brothers. Clarence was more obvious in his desperate attempt to gain power during the reign of Edward IV than Gloucester was. But I think if Edward had paid more attention to George's actions and rebellions and desire for the throne— he might not have decided to make Richard the protector for his young son. He might have seen that, like George, Richard wanted the crown, and he would find a way to get it. But that's a story for another time. Thank you for joining me to examine the controversial relationship of the York brothers, and especially George. Join us next time as we take a look at one of the Brits throwing fits, Queen Victoria. Thank you for listening. 
If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share with a friend. Do send any questions or comments. I'd love to hear from you where we should explore next. And please subscribe and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. I'm so glad we could explore history together. Till next time. Thank you.